Don't Wreck Yourself features words and situations that are not appropriate for young listeners. This show is only for adults and unsupervised juvenile delinquents of exquisite taste and refinement. Each week, our hosts look into claims they find online, answer your questions, and say bad words. Now your way is the only way, and my way is the only way to build a space between a hard place and a rock is all we do. But we'll entertain the conversation that leads us to the truth. What do we know? What trips to telephones that are no different to you. Welcome to Don't Wreck Yourself, a comedy podcast for information enthusiasts. My name is Ryan Placetti, and I'm here to disentangle you from the Gordian knot of the Internet's bullshit. And I'm CJ, joining again, uh, and can't wait to dive into your questions. That Well, that, that's that's the funny thing today is the first question is actually not my question. This one was sent to us by Maurice. He's been with us since the very beginning, and he has hopefully stuck it out. And I'm sure he'll be happy to hear his question, which comes from r slash no stupid questions from user. Why must I not forget who asks, are you legally allowed to just stay in the roundabout indefinitely? Uh, roundabout. We call them roundabouts here. What, what, what there, there's other, there are other names for roundabouts too, aren't there? Uh, I call it a roundabout. I, I call it like a roundabout too. The Eastern seaboard calls it a roundabout. Yeah. It's a roundabout or a traffic circle. Traffic uh, I, circle. I, I, I've heard that as well. Yeah. I think, I think the British have like, call it like a whirly gig or something like that. It's a very British that, or do they go roundabout? What do they call roundabout? What do they? I'm always, it's never a good sign when I'm Googling things in England. Uh, So apparently in England, they use, uh, they tend to use traffic circle instead of roundabout, but they are officially known as ring junctions. So there's a a new vocabulary word for you. They offer some additional context. Let's say you really enjoy turning left. Could you just not take any exits and stay in the roundabout until you need to fill up or charge the car? Could cops pull you over? If so, what law could they pull you over for not leaving the loop? You watch? Do you ever watch NASCAR, CJ? Uh, actually, love it. Uh, surprisingly, those are some guys who love turning left. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, those are guys. They're professional roundabout drivers. They are. Uh, <laughs> so let's say you really enjoy turning left. Could you just not take any exits and stay in the roundabout until you need to fill up or charge the car? And could cops pull you over? In my expert legal opinion, cops can pretty much pull you over for anything. They will find a reason to pull you over. They could argue that by unnecessarily staying in the roundabout, I guess, that you're obstructing traffic. That's that's the that's the ordinance that I would use to pull you over illegally and search your vehicle for drugs. I mean, well, for me, they can just pull me over for driving. That is a sad state in our nation. <laughs> there's that. Uh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think I think I don't think there's a law that says you can't just stay in the roundabout, but a cop who's having a bad day. But if they find a black guy around the roundabout, they're going to say, hey, dude. You can't just drive in the roundabout and I'd say why. And they'd say, get out of the car and probably taste me. Uh, so there's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate laughing at police, uh, police abuse, but it could happen. It could. 
So, yeah, I, th- I think you're legally allowed to just stay in the roundabout as long as you want. As long as you're not breaking any laws, I think if you're the only person doing it, I, I think it would get written off as being weird. But if you got, say, 15 cars to circle the roundabout and possibly jockey for pole position, at that point, I think the police would probably get involved because you'd be taking up too much of the roundabout space with your uh, miniature 15 mile per hour NASCAR race. Yeah, if you if you do anything to hold up traffic or impede anybody's way, I think they they can have a leg to stand on. But if you're just cruising around the roundabout, you're just like, hey, man, like I'm letting people go. Nobody's in traffic. I just like cruising. I don't think they can really do anything. Yeah, but the moment you impede that traffic, you're going to see those berries and cherries right behind you. Woo woo. <laughs> That's the sound of the police. <laughs> Stash your drugs. Oh put man! The, put the open put the open bush light far away in your back seat uh, because if you're cruising around a roundabout, you're probably having a couple road sodas. It, yeah, don't don't put the don't put your Miller light in the back seat. Put it in your backyard next to your smoker. So that brings us to our next topic. CJ, I believe you had a topic that you wanted to talk about today. Yes, uh, I pulled it from our barbecue, which is on brand for me. Uh, <laughs> actually, am in the process of smoking a butt today. By but butt, yeah. he means a pork shoulder. Correct. It's not not actually the butt of the pig, which is wild. But hey. It has to do with the size of the barrel that they used to transport salted pork shoulders in during colonial times. During the age of exploration, a pork butt was just the pork that you pulled out of the butt size barrel. Ah, and butt and butt is a barrel size. So is hogshead. It's all very confusing. <laughs> it is. But that's a uh, pig measures of pig is not meant to be understood by a human. Uh, no. <laughs> but yeah, so. The the question smoke brisket night before and cook in oven overnight. What do you what do you say for off right off the bat? Without getting into the details, um, there's two there there are two important factors in barbecue. Well, three important factors. One, obviously your seasoning. Whether you're talking about like a wet barbecue sauce or a dry rub. The second thing is going to be temperature control because you have to cook it low and slow to get the 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 texture that you're looking for out of the meat. And then the third thing you want to make sure that you're you're accounting for is the actual smoke and making sure you get that nice smoke ring and and get penetration into the uh, protein. Correct. So I would say gut instinct, maybe it, it, it's it's at least in an oven you can you can control that temperature and as long as the other two components are in place, sure. Why I don't see why not. What what are your thoughts? I say as long as you have at least a couple hours of that smoke on it, you're going to achieve uh, at least somewhat your your optimal smoky flavor. Um, but I think the biggest thing is the time and the, and the temperature. Time and temperature are the biggest things. Is there, a, is there a unit of measurement for smoky flavor? And if not, can we make one? Uh... There probably is the people that judge those barbecue competitions that you see that are like robots, but I don't know mm-hmm. what that is. <laughs> oh, well, but we can make well, one. Well, yeah. Well, in, in, if uh, you measure if you measure light luminosity and lumens, then I guess we would measure smokiness and fumins. Correct. Fumins. Correct. <laughs> Correct. It rhymes with, it rhymes with humans. <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh, 
so have you ever have you ever uh, done any lazy barbecue? I guess you'd call it lazy is a strong word. I will say when I didn't have like a legit offset smoker, I yeah. would do things on my kettle and like the snake method, uh, which is pretty time consuming to what, set up. What is what is what is the the snake method? Uh, it's also called the minion method. You do okay. a ring of charcoal briquettes. Snakes, minions, and rings. This sounds like yep. This sounds like a, a J.R.R. Tolkien novel. Really dope, really dope story coming. Uh, but it's like four, <laughs> uh, four rows, uh, and you put it around the ring of the kettle. Okay, and you don't let it meet. So there is an end. There's a beginning and an end, and you light a few charcoals and put it at the beginning, uh, and put some wood chunks on top, and you light that and it lights it slowly. So you maintain about 250 to 300 the whole time Yeah, as it burns around. But for a pork butt, you can take up to, you know, 13 hours. So yeah, that snake would go. I'm not going to make another one if it runs out of juice. So I would just take off the butt and put it unwrapped in my oven at about, 200 ish okay and just let it go until the internal temperature got up to speed all right so you've used you've used this method where you smoke it and then you toss it in the oven to finish it yes i i've done something similar with a brisket we smoked the brisket for three hours and then we put it in the oven for six hours overnight and then the next morning woke up got the got the wood fired up again and then put it on for an additional three hours and honestly the brisket turned out uh really good it turned out really good and i have to give full credit when i say we did this i mean it was my idea and my dad executed it because i don't personally have a smoker (laughs) 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 and my dad listens to this podcast and if i took credit for his barbecue um i would probably stop getting getting invited to family barbecue day (laughs) and that would be depressing that would be the saddest thing because i love my family almost as much as i love barbecue Credit where credit's due there. Yeah. Way to go, dad. So, yeah, I think this is this is feasible, but I think you have to do it the right way, uh, which brings me to the details, which reading the details, I had a few red flags come up to me. OK, um, I would like to make a brisket for the NFL season opener. My team's game is a 1 p.m. Sunday game. That's that's a rough call time. I'm wondering how possible it is or if it is a bad idea to smoke the brisket Saturday night for six to eight hours. And then finish in the oven at like 210 to 225 for about 9 to 10 hours. What complications could arise? Is this too long such that bacteria can complicate things? Would I just be better off making something more simple? I'm not getting up at 4 a.m. to make a brisket. LOL. I'm not that dedicated. So red flags all over the place at the end. Couple couple red flags. This guy does seem to have some timing issues. He, he wants to <laughs> smoke this thing for somewhere between... Uh, he wants to smoke this thing for somewhere between nine hours and 18, uh, 18 hours, <laughs> <laughs> 18. Well, I, I think for with a good size brisket, you might be able to get away with it, but it also depends on what type of smoker you have. If you have a smoker with a, with a strong seal, that's going to hold that moisture in and, and, and keep the, and keep things juicy. Yeah. You might be able to go for 18 hours on a particularly large brisket. But for a you know typical brisket that you're getting at the grocery store, 18 hours is probably way too long. You're probably going to dry it out. 
that's been my nemesis uh, for the past two years is brisket. And I've finally got it dialed in. Okay. And I think that he is going to kill this cow again, which is disrespectful. <laughs> it's already dead. He doesn't have to kill it again. Uh, I have managed to get my briskets down to about eight to 10 hours. Yeah. I don't like that. He said he's not dedicated that you shouldn't be cooking a brisket. Give the responsibilities to somebody else. Uh, when we, and by we, I mean, my dad, uh, smoked that brisket and split it between the oven. We, we smoked it, we roasted it, and then we smoked it again. Turned out beautiful. So yes, it's, I, I, I really do think that this is a viable strategy uh, to answer the other question about like what complications could arise. We've already discussed the dryness. Bacteria is not going to be a thing in that. I think no. You, no. As long as you have the meat kept above one sixty, I think is the food safe range. Uh, one forty, actually. One above one forty. Really, bacteria is not going to be a huge issue with brisket at all because, generally speaking, um, unless you're unless you're running into E. coli, beef isn't uh, beef isn't carrying a whole lot of bacteria and bad stuff which is why you can go to a restaurant and order a rare steak and and tartar i don't do that i don't do that but a lot of people do i'll eat the shit out of some tartar i don't do that it's a little Um, weird for me (laughs) uh but yeah the the magic temperature is 140 degrees and when you're cooking things other than beef generally speaking what you want to do if you're slow roasting like say a turkey around thanksgiving obviously poultry does have a lot of bacteria that you do have to worry about um The general rule of thumb when you're slow roasting something is to achieve an internal temperature of 140 degrees within three hours. Which is if you're if you're at 200, you're going to get there well before that range. So I think I I have played with fire slow roasting turkeys before I, I I slow roasted a Thanksgiving turkey at 180 degrees for like 13 hours. Ooh, yeah, it turned out beautiful, but it was. It was scary there because I did not get my internal temperature up to 140 degrees in three hours. You're like, it took me like five. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think he's going to be safe, food safe wise. But I just think he has to to go back to the drawing board. If it were me, and this were somebody that I were going to eat at their house, and they were asking me these questions, I would just volunteer. Why would you eat him at his house? I don't know. You know. If he loses the game, I'll eat him. <laughs> but if he told me these things ahead of time, I would just volunteer my time to cook the brisket. I'd say you're. Yeah, I, I think the, the key with any great cooking is the, the secret ingredient has to be love. If you don't have respect for the ingredients and you don't love what you're doing, it's not going to turn out no. as good as it could be. I think he should just make chicken. He should just make something more simple, like yep. just. Don't do the brisket. Just t- something something that'll take him 45 minutes. And if you're not willing to wake up at 4 a.m. for the perfect cut of meat, then don't. You're dead to I, me. I did that this morning. I woke up at 2.45 a.m. to throw a pork butt on at 3. So there you go. It's just dedication because that's my God-given right. But speaking of God-given rights, uh, I do have a question from r slash no stupid questions posted by Ipsissimus666. Ipsissimus 666, and they want to know, in the U.S., does a person have the right, in quotations, to live the state they want to? Um, Grammatical errors aside, (laughs) uh, (laughs) the U.S. Constitution does protect interstate travel, and it is established in the 14th Amendment, which is a Reconstruction-era amendment, which basically 
helps to ensure that all formerly enslaved peoples are treated fairly under law. So uh, the 14th Amendment has the all-important Equal Protection Clause, which establishes that all people are required to have equal protection under law, essentially saying that the government can't penalize a group of people or treat one group differently than another. So the 14th Amendment reads, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So it doesn't say anything about travel in there. Uh, However, contained in that nugget of no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property, liberty is the ability to move freely throughout the state. So you can move freely between the states. Now, as far as the right to live in the state, that gets a little bit more complicated once you start getting into traveling and and establishing residency. So most states require you to establish residency before doing things like issuing you driver's licenses, automobile tags, and, and a number of other privileges that are afforded to citizens of a state. This can be important when you're talking about, say, paying in-state or out-of-state tuition for a university. There's a mixture of court cases which uh, determine which circumstances a a state law provides like a government interest. So, for example, in-state and out-of-state tuition, if the moment you move to, like, let's say I apply to to Stanford out in California, the moment I move to California, wouldn't I be paying in-state tuition? Because I live in the state. Nobody, nobody attending Stanford in person is out of state. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there are there are certain circumstances in which courts have allowed uh, states to limit the recognition of of residency. Uh, another another great example of this is actually in Alaska. So in Alaska, they developed a uh, essentially an oil pipeline, uh, an oil production revenue sharing scheme in which citizens of the state of Alaska uh, get paid out uh, benefits. And they get paid out benefits based on the number of years they've lived in Alaska after the ratification of statehood in 1959. So the longer you've lived in Alaska, the more money you get from the oil. Makes sense? I actually had an ex-girlfriend from Alaska. I've actually heard about that. Oh. What, did she change her state of residency when she left Alaska? Because I don't know that I would. If I, were, if I was getting that sweet oil check, if I was getting a taste of that Texas tea, that black gold... She was still she was still a resident because we went to I went to boarding school. Oh, so she was like she was still like full Alaska and she went back to Alaska. So she never she, officially changed her state of residency. How old was she? Nah. At that point, she would have been 17, 17. So she probably couldn't establish residency like she was still like dependent. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, she's back in Alaska now, uh, which probably getting a pretty sweet check because she's been like born and raised Alaska. Nice. Um, so it, I, I suppose the only other way to read this question is in the U.S., does a person have the right to live the state they want to? And in the United States Constitution, the word state as representative of a unit of government is capitalized and they have not capitalized state here. So they could be asking whether or not they can live in a, in a state of matter, which I mean, solid liquid gas or plasma, right? Exactly. In the United States, can you live as liquid? I mean, I'm sure you could. I I think you have a right to it. In fact, the the 10th amendment of the constitution reserves all rights, not otherwise enumerated in the constitution to the states and the people, which means you do have a right to live as rock. Uh, Dwayne, the rock Johnson does it every day. True, true. 
He is him. And, and you know what? I don't care what he says. I think he'll make a fine president someday. You know what? Why not at this point? I, we could do worse. <laughs> <laughs> what other professional wrestlers would you like to see running the country? <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin would actually be pretty badass. Not going to lie. I, I tell you what, though. He would win the religious right. He's like John 316. They're like, he knows his Bible. He knows his Bible. I, I, I trust him. <laughs> When actually he's like fairly progressive. Like I feel like I did like a deep dive on him one day, like randomly on the shitter. I'm pretty sure he like dunks on people like in a very stone cold way. Like he's very much like not, not a kid rock. He's not a kid rock. He's not a kid rock. We have he's plenty of he's those. an adult rock. <laughs> he is. <laughs> not a pet rock, but an adult rock. A, a full size stone cold rock. All right. So. <laughs> So I, I think we pretty well answered this, that you have the right to travel freely in America. And you have the right to live in whatever state you want. Yeah, it's a constitutional right. Uh, the only way that you're going to be deprived of that right is the same way you'd be deprived of any other rights if you get arrested for driving around the roundabout too long. <laughs> if you lose your liberty as a punishment for a crime for which you've been duly convicted, that could prevent you from changing your state of residency. So if you get arrested or if you're on parole, like if you're Meek Mill, you're stuck in the state of Pennsylvania indefinitely until your dr- until your drug court supervisor gives you the go ahead and, and and lets you off a parole. Correct. Other other reasons why you might not be allowed actually uh without without depriving you of your freedom in a situation where you have two parents uh two parents who uh who separate and there's children in common once they've established a custodial agreement Uh, you could be prevented from removing the children from state, effectively preventing you from leaving the state. So that's a that's a situation in which your freedom of movement might be infringed upon without necessarily depriving you of your liberty. Like you can leave. You just can't take your kids with you, which for most people is a deal breaker. Like that's one of those. (laughs) I I don't know about you, but I'm not going to move away from my kids. No, I I don't plan on anytime soon. They're way too fun. They're way cooler than me. So yeah, where they are, I'm going to be. I find that really hard to believe because you're one of the coolest people I know, CJ. Uh, They're cooler. Trust me. All right. Well, I am. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or let's say you were denied your liberty and, and the government placed you in a 12 foot by 12 foot cell with a nine foot ceiling that was completely airtight. Uh, That brings us to our next question from r slash they did the math. They want to know, can a closed room suffocate you due to a lack of fresh oxygen? And there is an there's an image that there's an image associated with it that says uh, humans averagely breathe in 550 liters of oxygen per day. If your room is 12 feet by 12 feet with a nine foot high ceiling, you have more than 36,000 liters of air available and 20 percent of it is oxygen, which gives you more than 7,200 liters of oxygen. Uh, where you could stay for 13 days straight before the oxygen runs out, assuming it's a fully enclosed room. So let's say that this room is, in fact, airtight. Uh, the first thing we have to do is check the facts. Is this 550 liters of oxygen per day an actual, is, is that an actual number with a base, uh, with some sort of scientific basis? I don't know. I did find it. Like, it's what comes up immediately. When you Google how much oxygen does a person use in the course of a day, they, the answer that pops up on Google is 550 liters. But after digging into it, I found some stuff on how stuff works and the American Lung Association. I went down a respiratory rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start off with the 12 foot by 12 foot by nine foot. Uh, it's a little bit more than 36,000. So that stands up. Oxygen is closer to 21% than 20. 
So that's the number I'm going to use because it's 20.9. You don't round 0.9 down to 20, you round it up to 21. And that does adjust the uh, number of liters of oxygen in this supposed room. So at 550 liters of oxygen per day, uh, a human being would last for 13 days. However, how stuff works, citing the American Lung Association, says that the average adult male consumes 7,500 liters of air per day, of which 378 liters is oxygen. 378 liters versus 550 liters is, you know, it's, it's not an insignificant difference. But the one thing that they really do not get right here is they're just taking 7,200 and dividing it by 550 to determine how long it would take a human being to process all that oxygen. But remember, this is an airtight room. And the conservation of matter dictates that everything at the start of the equation has to still be there at the end of the equation. So what's happening when you're using oxygen? You're creating CO2. That oxygen's being converted into carbon dioxide. So while a person might take in that 378 liters of oxygen a day, they're actually only processing about 25% of that oxygen into CO2. Like you're breathing in, let's say, 20 units of oxygen, you're breathing out five units of CO2 and 15 units of oxygen. So you're actually still breathing oxygen into the room. So that slows it down. So when you do the math, you're consuming about 100, uh, 100 liters of pure oxygen per day, which means you're producing 100 liters of CO2 per day. At that rate, our room is going to hold 7,682.35 liters of oxygen. You divide that by 100, and that gets you 76.82, which is the number of days it would take you to consume and process all of that oxygen into CO2, just doing normal everyday stuff. Obviously, if you're working out, you're exercising, you're running around, you're screaming, hey, let me out, let me out, I'm stuck in this bank vault, that's going to use a little bit more oxygen. So you're, if you are in this situation, <laughs> you're going to want to conserve your energy. But because it's a closed environment, now you're cranking up that CO2 and you're reducing the amount of oxygen. As you process the oxygen and turn it into not oxygen, now you're going to have additional trouble breathing. But there's also there's also another factor. Uh, CO2 itself can be toxic. Basically what all the uh, all the anti-mass people were saying is just like if I breathe in the CO2, I'm going to die today in, in this Walmart vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> We're rolling back prices and our COVID mask mandate. Um, <laughs> obviously, the whole CO2 poisoning, the idea that you can be poisoned by the carbon dioxide uh, that's not escaping your mask is insane and obviously not true. I say obviously like I just proved something. I didn't prove anything, <laughs> CJ. Proved it in my brain. <laughs> well, good enough. <laughs> good enough. Um so altitude sickness can be very uh, can be extraordinarily dangerous once you get above that 5000 uh, once you get above so CO2 toxicity uh, can start taking uh, effect when you hit about 5% CO2 in the overall atmosphere. So in your traditional earth atmosphere, CO2 generally makes up like 0.04% of our of our normal atmosphere. So once you get up to 5% that's when you can start getting sick and start seeing symptoms associated with CO2 toxicity. But how long does this stuff take? So at this point, it's kind of a race. You're in an enclosed space, probably because you've done something incredibly stupid. <laughs> mm -hmm. Correct. <laughs> but how long would it take for any of these things to kill you? So as the oxygen reduces, although we're saying it'll take 76 days to actually convert all of that oxygen into CO2, after 18 days you would start to feel the effects of CO2 toxicity. And after 25 days, you would have hypoxia, which is 
uh, low blood oxygen due to the lack of oxygen in your environment. And although hypoxia could be fatal on day 45, the CO2 toxicity would for sure kill you on day 36 because CO2 is going to make up 10% of, uh, of the gas mixture in your 12 by 12 by 9 space and you will die. A, a very painful death is what I, I imagine it would well. be slow. <laughs> <laughs> so final ruling, the math here is apparently wrong. I, I found lots of good sources to show that the numbers that they're using for human respiration maybe aren't as accurate as they could be. And I think they missed a couple factors in determining uh, how long it would take you to suffocate in that enclosed space. Yeah, I think they're I think they're cutting it short a little bit. You you have a longer party inside of there. Well, they're overestimating the oxygen usage, which which is why my count's about seven times as many days as theirs. Mm -hmm. I'd probably die quicker. Honestly, I'd just find a way to end it quicker if I knew I wasn't getting out of there. <laughs> All you'd have to do is jog. Just run in place. Just run in place. <laughs> run in you, place. <laughs> you will increase. Uh, so some of the research that I looked at said that you would actually increase your blood oxygen usage by as much as eight times. So you could <laughs> you you could turn that that 36 days into a four and a half day journey. If you just jog, if you just jogged for 96 hours straight. <laughs> I'd take that route. You would probably just die of I'd, jogging. <laughs> I'd die from jogging before I died from the lack of oxygen. <laughs> but actually researching this topic reminded me of something that I learned while I was in Korean language school. Have you heard of the concept of fan death. I have not. Fan death is not what happens when Taylor Swift fans delete their Twitter accounts. It is a widely held superstition or urban myth, whatever you want to call it, uh, originating in South Korea. And the idea is essentially that if you fall asleep with a running electric fan in your room, you will die. Mm, color me dead. Let's just let's just let's just give that a quick sniff test. I don't think that's true. False. False. I have hard evidence. <laughs> hard evidence. <laughs> so many American houses are built with fans in the ceiling <laughs> that I, I find it to be impossible that there are just millions of people dying every night as a result of electric fans without us knowing about it. I'd be willing to put a healthy amount of money that 80% of U.S. homes have a fan that is just on. Yep. It doesn't go off. Well, and that's not even accounting for like industrial fans. There's fans in like air circulation systems. There's uh, small cooling fans in our computers. Like think about yes. it. If you fall asleep in a in a room with the windows. And that, that's the key. Like in order to die of fan death, you have to have the windows closed. Like it has to be a sealed chamber, not unlike the one that we were discussing in our last problem. Mm -hmm. um, and there have been various explanations for why this would kill you. Uh, one is it creates, uh, if you fall asleep with that fan, it could create a hypothermic effect uh, through convective cooling on your skin, effectively causing you to die of hypothermia and freeze to death. Okay. Uh, one of the other theories is that the fan blades chop up the molecules so small mm -hmm. that you can no longer breathe them. Okay. Oxygen atoms are being split. Like this is this is something that, you know, the secret to nuclear weaponry was in our in, in the home appliance section at TJ Maxx the whole time. All the time. <laughs> it was right there. We've we've harnessed the atom. Oppenheimer is very upset. Another theory is that it creates a vortex 
in the room, which sucks the air out of your lungs, causing you to asphyxiate. And then, cool, cool, cool. And although there is plenty of evidence from around the world to suggest that people don't die when they sleep in rooms with electric fans, there have been some uh, kind of fringe Korean doctors who have suggested that Korean biology is special, and that's why it only affects Koreans. Uh, there's no evidence to suggest that Koreans are anything other than regular human beings. So how widespread is this uh, this belief in Korea? If you go to like even the, the H-Mart here in the United States where they bring in a lot of Korean products, the fans all have timers on them. So that way you fall asleep uh, with the fan on for your comfort. And then after you're asleep, the fan turns itself off. So that way it doesn't chop up all the molecules and suffocate you. Exactly. Um, Correct. So this is just kind of one of those weird superstitions. And it's not something that you can really look down upon. We literally have an entire political movement in our country based around the idea that there is a man named Q who lives inside of our government and is releasing messages revealing that John F. Kennedy is about to be resurrected from the dead to proclaim Donald Trump president. I will take fan death over QAnon any day of the week. 100%. Like people. Yeah, we can't judge that. Yeah, people believe wacky shit all the time. And this is a relatively harmless one that also saves on the electric bill, which I suspect, wink, wink is how this all got started. There's probably a Korean dad <laughs> who was like, turn that goddamn fan off. It's going to kill you. It's going to chop up all the oxygen in the air and you're going to die. <laughs> that kid turned into like a leading scientist in Korea. And he's like, whoa, guys, we got to we got to stop. With we got to do something about these fans. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do something about these fans. Uh, there is a there is a conspiracy that the rumor of fan death was started by the Korean government in order to reduce people's energy consumption. So essentially, you Fair. know, the dad that is the state, you know, is yelling at you to turn your lights off. Another possible explanation for deaths, which might have been attributed to fan death, is that there is a, a popular method for heating homes in Korea is called undolbong, which is like a heated floor room. So basically natural gas gets pumped in and, and there, there are traditional versions of this also. But the idea is that natural gas gets pumped in and you are using that to heat the floor. So the idea there is that a leak in this in the system that's heating your floors could potentially release gases into your sleep space and kill you and while kill, you're yeah. sleeping, which I think is sure. a far more likely scenario than the. Uh, vortex sucking all the oxygen out of your lungs while you sleep. It's why you don't run generators inside your closed house. <laughs> uh, so it turns out that if, if you were stuck in that 12 by 12 space and you're looking for a way to end it and you don't have time to jog for 96 hours, you could probably just run an electric fan. <laughs> Correct. Because <laughs> I always have one in my back pocket. That's true. So generally speaking, belief in fan death has been on the decline. Younger generations look at the internet they realize that there is no special explanation for why only people in Korea die of fan death. And so the, the the general tenor has been maybe it's not a real thing. However, astrology in America is still going pretty strong. <laughs> but other things that have declined over, over the course of the last generation, music piracy. I found another question from r slash they did the math. Don't worry, we're not actually doing math on this one. Uh, it was posted by uh, an unknown user. They've deleted their account. But they want to know, what are the odds now of getting caught music pirating? I suppose caught by whom? Like, if your parents find out, I mean, you could really get in trouble. Yeah. I think if you're hosting pirated content for people to view or yeah. listen or download, I think you're in a much more vulnerable spot yeah. than if you're just a dude trying to watch House of Dragons and without an HBO account. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think people who are operating services that are facilitating music piracy 
are at risk of having legal repercussions and, and they will absolutely go after them. But as far as individuals who are just consuming it for their own for their own benefit, or even if they're part of a sharing network, if they're not like a super sharer with like thousands and thousands of files, it's probably not going to blow back on them. Uh, that said, I think the, the real bread and butter for copyright enforcement isn't individuals downloading things on the internet. It's actually commercial businesses. I know you've got some experience working in breweries, so you know that in order to play music at a business, you have to license that music. Correct. You can't just like pop in your Spotify login and run your your sweet 90s playlist that you've been jamming to. You got to have a separate business account or uh, I, I don't know who the, the music feds are. I guess I guess Dirks Bentley maybe <laughs> comes and knocks on your door and gets all the royalties. Um, <laughs> I think it's weird that Dirk Bentley was put in charge of collecting everybody's royalties, though. You'd think he would just be worried about his own, but he's like, no, no, I'm here for I'm here on behalf of the Rolling Stones. Dr. Dre. Uh, this brewery has been playing Sublime for 40 days and hasn't paid a cent. So we need to get their money. <laughs> yeah. And that that's the thing. It's uh, it's commercial enforcement. There's a couple different ways that they go about commercial enforcement, some of which I've encountered. Uh, I've, I've certainly had phone calls from people representing BMI. It's body mass. And mm-hmm. I think so. that's a big that's one. That's a big yeah. one. Uh, but yeah, there's like two or three major li- uh, licensors. And then you can get sub licenses through like uh, Spotify for businesses. Or you could get like one of those touch tune uh, jukeboxes uh, that are really popular. And that that basically, if you have that and these people contact you or if somebody comes into your business and starts asking questions about, oh, how are you playing the music? Oh, is that on Spotify? Unless you know the person, that might not be a casual question. That might be somebody probing to find somebody illegally playing music mm-hmm. because they have no way of knowing whether you've licensed it until you tell them that you haven't. Exactly. So when I, I have certainly worked at places that do not legally play music. And I always told my coworkers, like, if anybody asks you about the music, you don't know. And if they press the issue, tell them it's like, oh, it's some sort of commercial program. Just just say that and they'll probably leave you alone. But I've certainly gotten phone calls and, and dealt with people who are who are a little bit too nosy about how this music's getting played. Yeah. You're like, why are you asking questions? Do you want a beer? <laughs> <laughs> I, I got I got I got to admit though I love those touch tune jukeboxes because oh, same yeah because it used to be it used to be that you had to walk up to it and press all the keys and stuff and choose your choose your stuff but now there's an app and you can connect to it wirelessly I have become radicalized I am totally a touch tune terrorist yeah, I keep at least twenty dollars <laughs> worth of credits loaded on my phone at all time and when I'm at a bar. I play music that I think is funny, not necessarily what people want to hear at a bar. I, I get a lot of satisfaction of exposing people to gay country music. So the the wonderful music of Orville Peck or Trixie Mattel, the drag queen country superstar. Mm-hmm. Both actually fantastic musicians. So the music is good in its own right. I just like to take a, especially when I'm, when I'm, traveling through redder areas. It's it's that sort of secret transgression that really drives me. I also like to put on very long songs. Uh, that's my that's my bread and butter. And it's out of it's out of enjoyment for me. Like, yeah, I'm playing it because I do want to hear the 45 minute version of this Almond Brothers <laughs> song or widespread <laughs> panic song or Grateful Dead song that people are like, is this the same fucking yeah. song still playing? <laughs> If you get the, I'll I'll tell you a good one uh, that I personally enjoy to listen to on the reg is the live Allman Brothers version of Whippin' Post. I think it's like 
double sided on a record. Like yeah. you have to flip the record over to hear the rest of the song. <laughs> so that's a good one. <laughs> that is solid. That is solid stuff. People are just like, what is like, why is it still on? I've, I thought I put money on this but, thing. But he, and then that's my other thing is loading it up and people spend extra money to get next. But then my other song just comes right yep. after it. And I'm like, you're stuck with me forever <laughs> today. I'm sorry. I'll just put on the entire Dave Matthews discography. You got a few hours. <laughs> yeah. And that that's the thing, though. Long songs, because Touch Tunes doesn't, they charge you by the song. They don't charge you by how long the song is, which means if you put on that 20 minute song, now you've paid the same amount of money for a 20 minute song that you would have paid for a two minute song. It just exactly. you're giving 10 times the value. 10 times the enjoyment economics that's it, economics it's basic household kitchen table financial decisions that move America's soul. <laughs> um, what another song I, I like to, I like to put on like parody songs too. Uh, so I am a big Tom Lehrer fan. So Tom Lehrer is kind of an interesting cat. He was a, uh, basically he's a signals intelligence analyst in the, uh, in world war two. And then after that, he became both a mathematician and professor at MIT, but he also became a famous comedy musician. My favorite song to play is uh, Poisoning the Pigeons at the Park, which is this like really bright, like 1950s, like sunny ballad uh, about going to a park with your sweetheart and poisoning the pigeons with <laughs> peanuts coated in cyanide. <laughs> <laughs> So like it's one of those things that like it comes on and people just like stop and they they look at me like what the fuck is going on and I take a super secret delight like I, I've heard many a bartender curse me without knowing who I am because I no longer have to stand in front of that jukebox in order to destroy the atmosphere of this bar I can do it from the from the relative safety and anonymity of my cell phone and that is a beautiful thing it's perfect but I found a place that I really like and I actually want to improve the atmosphere uh, I'll always just turn to the music of Rick Reynolds who has been kind enough to allow us the use of his song United from the album Portals in Progress, which is available on Amazon, iTunes, and Spotify. You can find him at Rick Reynolds on Instagram and on a stage, I guess, near you. I, 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 <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't have Rick's tour schedule on hand. I know he's been traveling a little bit with Tantric and he's been doing some solo shows. So if I if I hear about any coming up, I'll let people know. CJ, would you like to plug any of your socials? Uh, yeah, if you want to learn more about how to correctly cook a brisket, <laughs> you can follow me uh, at, on Instagram at Backyard Pitmaster SC. And, you know, share away, save away. Talk to me. I'll talk back. Yeah, he will. Uh, I, I, he's talked to me on several occasions and I've been blown away every single time. <laughs> You can find me individually at Food Aside on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the podcast at Wreck Your Pod on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. You can also send us email at wreckyourpod at gmail.com. Uh, send us your questions, concerns, feedback. Um, if you just want, if you just want to like send me a string of profanity, I'll read it. I'll read every word. the 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 better the word, the better. Uh, you can also find. <laughs> Uh, you can also find me and CJ and other other people associated with the Don't Wreck Yourself project on the Cast Junkie Discord server, which is a fantastic community for podcasters and podcast fans. Uh, you'll find a link for that in the show notes. And don't forget to go into however you are listening to this program and rate us the maximum number of stars 
the highest rating possible. And if between now and when next we meet, you find yourself stuck in an infinite loop of a roundabout, struggling to get off, and you don't have time for us to help you get off, wink, wink, we encourage you to check yourself. Don't wreck yourself. We are united, but we're so far apart.